If you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, again, no inserts today, but the bulletin has all that you need. And so you have uh, the passage printed for you there in the bulletin. Uh, We have been fast approaching uh, the conclusion of Uh, the study of this letter. That's what we do at Ascension. We study God's Word book by book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we're fast approaching this study that we began last fall. Today we will finish, Lord willing, chapter 4, leaving just chapter 5, which we will take in one bite, uh, one big bite next week. And then after that, we'll turn our hearts uh, to the resurrection as we anticipate Easter Sunday. But today I want us to listen and to hear uh, what is essentially Peter's final word on suffering. Now if you've been around for any part of this series, um, you'll know that I've reminded us more than once that uh, this issue of suffering lies in the background in the context of this first century letter. Remember, it was written to churches that were scattered around Asia Minor, which is our modern-day Turkey. And these are churches that to varying degrees, because they're spread apart uh, geographically, to varying degrees they're beginning to experience suffering, persecution. And Peter already in this letter has has spoken directly to it, Uh, but today we really hear his most uh, direct and his most profound remarks about suffering. It's certainly a helpful, an incredibly helpful message for his original readers as we kind of put ourselves into their world, as he explains to them what they're experiencing, what they're beginning to experience, what the, some are already experiencing full on, and order they might respond to it appropriately. But it's also a, it's also a timeless truth for us, for all sufferers, whether it be in the first century, whether it be in 2020. And so I encourage you once again to give your attention uh, to God's word, to the reading of God's word. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand uh, this morning as I read our passage, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? 
Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be world without end. Amen. 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 Going to be seated. I want to read that last verse to you. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Brothers and sisters, that one verse sums it up. Sums not only this passage that we're looking at this morning, but it sums up the entire point that Peter wants to get across in his letter to the church. Let those who suffer entrust themselves to their creator while doing good. But the first question I want us to ask this morning is, is what kind of suffering is, is Peter talking about? Is Peter speaking of? We, we dipped our toes in this a couple months ago when in chapter two, Peter reminded the church that they will suffer for doing good just as Christ leaving us an example that we should walk in his footsteps. Remember that passage from long ago? And then just a couple weeks ago, those of you who are here, we were reminded that this suffering for righteousness is what we're called to, even as Christ suffered for us once for sins. And just a little side note, Peter and as well his friend Paul, they both can hardly write about the Christian life without bringing in Jesus, without bringing in the work of Christ and the good news of what he accomplished on the cross. And I just want us to to notice that, I want us to remember that because that is how it should be, right? Peter reminds us Paul reminds us in his letters as they instruct us to do something and they always backfill it with, oh yeah, and Jesus did this. They remind us that our faith isn't just a religion as Isaiah reminded us earlier in our Old Testament scripture reading. I was just pleading this point with someone this week that the gospel is not simply a collection of things to believe and to adhere to. It is a life that is grounded in a person. In a relationship with a person that is not, that is not past tense, that's not merely historical, but is present and active right now. And so it's the gospel of Jesus that is always in the background 
of what Peter is calling us, what Paul is calling us to be about as the church. But as we get back to the issue of suffering and that question, what kind of suffering is Peter talking about, I want us to see this morning that the suffering that Peter is talking about in this passage and in this letter is not the brokenness of our world, it's not the result of other sins against us, and it's certainly not, as our passage today reminds us of, suffering brought upon ourselves by way of our own sin. Right? Peter says, if you're suffering because you're a meddler, because you're a murderer, because you're a thief, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that kind of suffering. All those things are suffering that we want to avoid at all costs. No, Peter is speaking here primarily of suffering for doing good. The suffering that comes to our lives as a result of being Christians, of walking in obedience to Jesus. And that's the kind of suffering that we we don't need to avoid at all costs. And this is more, remember, this is more than just ridicule and marginalization that God's people are experiencing. We've experienced some of that. You probably have. I have. Now, this is much more serious. For some who are hearing this letter, this suffering is, is, is a matter of life. It's a matter of death. And so what about us then? What about this passage What is a word like this for Americans, comfortable and safe, in 2020? Well, let me give you two two things. One, preparation. I think passages like these, though we're in a different context than the first century church, they prepare us. We don't know what's coming as a church, do we? In fact, we get nervous sometimes when we sense things that might be coming upon Christians as a church. We don't know what's coming for our kids and for their kids. So digesting these truths, teaching them to our children before we even begin to feel the the heat really turned up on us, can only steal us, S-T-E-E-L, steal us for what might lie ahead. But secondly, I think passages like these, they help us with identification. So preparation and identification. This is really just a rationale for why you ought to listen to me for the next 20 minutes. Why you ought to listen to God's word as for you here today. In 2016, after a failed coup attempt, ironically on the same piece of earth that Peter's original hearers heard these words, there was a pastor, Andrew Brunson. He's a Presbyterian minister and missionary of 25 years who planted a church and was imprisoned after 2016's attempted coup, he was imprisoned on trumped-up charges of espionage. And for two years, you probably remember this in the news headlines, for two years, Andrew Brunson languished in prison. 
before finally being released after pressure from our government. Of course, there are nameless others who right now, as I proclaim God's word to you, sit behind bars because of their faith in Jesus. And so I remind you of Hebrews 13.3. I've reminded you of this several times. Remember those who were in prison as though you were in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are in the body. You see, we need to be a church, whether we're experiencing it directly or not, that entrusts our own suffering as well as the suffering of others to our faithful God. And so though Peter is talking about suffering for the sake of Christ in a first century context where the heat was way hotter than it is for us here today, we need to prepare. We need to identify with those who already are boiling today in the heat of persecution. Now with both of those things said, This is not to say that what is spoken of here by Peter and what is spoken here by the Holy Spirit preserved for us, it's not to say that it doesn't apply to other areas of suffering. I think it does. God's word is that rich, it's that deep, it's that penetrating where where the truth that's contained here can and ought trickle down to every wounded and hurting area of our lives. And so while, when I, while I want you to hear that word suffering in its right context, I also want you to feel free to think about suffering in a broader context as God's word speaks into our entire lives because frankly, as I prayed just a few minutes ago, the world needs to see us suffer. The world needs to see you suffer. And some of you have, and some of you are are suffering. And the world needs to see you suffer, and they need to see how you respond to suffering that they might give glory to your Father in heaven. Much like what we're experiencing now, the world needs to see in us not fear, not self-indulgence, but faith and love and self-sacrifice. And so, as we meditate in this passage for just a few minutes, I'm going to give us three brief truths for us to remind our hearts of this morning. Three brief truths, and the first one is real brief, and it's this, our suffering has purpose. So first thing I want us to learn from Peter, it's the first thing I think the Lord wants to remind his people of this morning, that our suffering has purpose. I really like my dentist, but I hate going to see my dentist. I like when I run into him at Target. I hate when I see him in his office. 
And why do I endure that pinch that my dentist tells me is coming to my cheek in order that he might insert a shot of anesthesia in my cheek? I endure that pinch. I welcome that pinch because I know that it fits in his ultimate plan for me that morning. That he hurts me for my good. And ultimately, I won't be hurting anymore. That's kind of a silly example of a majestic, overarching reality that Peter reminds us here through two phrases. Verse 19, the will of God, and verse 12, the word test. What do those words have in common? What they have in common is purpose. There can be no greater comfort than this, that in the midst of pain, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of suffering, there is a sovereign God who is at work, a powerful hand that has no limitations, that is turning even the things that the enemy intends for evil for the good of his people and for his purposes. Now, it doesn't change the mystery but it does change everything. You see, in this, all the world's and our heart's natural responses to suffering are flipped on their head. And Peter shows it for us here. We'll unpack this in just a minute. Our natural hearts are surprised at suffering, right? We're shocked. We're suffering. This is disruptive. Why is this happening? Peter says, you don't need to be. Our natural hearts in the world, we get angry at suffering. Why am I suffering? Why me? Peter says you can actually rejoice in your suffering. Well, sometimes our natural hearts in our worlds, we conclude, well, we're cursed. We're cursed. That's why we're experiencing this. It's karma. It's just bad karma coming back at me. Peter says, no, you're actually blessed if you're suffering for the name of Christ. And then our natural hearts are sometimes driven to shame at what we're experiencing. And Peter says, no, you can actually take pride in giving God the glory for what you're experiencing. You see, God's word turns our suffering on top of its head. And all these things are possible only because the purposeful will of God is behind the suffering that his saints endure on behalf of his name. There is hope. There is purpose. I know many of you know that, but you need to be reminded of it because you forget it. When things get turned up and the heat is is unbearable, you forget but our purpose has suffering. So God's at work, but what's he doing? Well, that's where we turn our hearts to next, to our second truth, and it's this. Our suffering makes us holy. Our suffering makes us holy. I almost used uh, the same point that I used in James chapter one. Remember when we studied James a couple years ago in that passage in James chapter one, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work that you may be mature and complete. And what was the point from that? You don't remember, but I do. God tests us 
to transform us. It's the same thing. God tests us to transform us. Our suffering makes us holy. At room temperature, a metal such as gold, it's, it's intertwined with all kinds of impurities at room temperature. And so in the ancient world, before the introduction of the powerful chemicals that we have now, although this method is still used today, the only way to separate the desired gold that, that, we, that, wanted, that we wanted to keep was to heat it was to heat it. And so a craftsman would sit next to a crucible, he would crank up the fire to over a thousand degrees, and then he'd skim off the impurities as they rose to the top. And as that gold cooled down, what was left but pure gold? That's the image that Peter is creating for his hearers. As he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you. He's already been here back in chapter one, verse seven, where he says that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right, Peter is building upon the wisdom of Proverbs. Proverbs 27, two, the crucible is for silver, the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. So whether we like to admit it or not, whether we like it or not, you and I, brothers and sisters, are the proud owners of proud hearts. Hearts that sometimes need some fire to help sort things out. To help us really understand and see where our ultimate trust lies. Richard Wormbrand, who is a Romanian pastor, he wrote a book called Tortured for Christ and started an organization called The Voice of the Martyrs. For 14 years, he was imprisoned and tortured. This is back in the, in the 60s. The hands of communist leaders there He said this simple quote, persecution has always produced a better Christian, a soul-winning Christian. And so Peter here reminds the church and reminds us that God's work in persecution is for their refinement. And that's what he's getting at in verse 17 as well, where he speaks of judgment beginning with the house of God. Maybe you were a little bit confused when we read that. He's not speaking of condemnation here, right? We, we cling to Romans 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No, this is a broader word that simply means evaluation, right? Evaluation and testing and refining begins with us and eventually gets out at the final day to everyone else. Malachi 3, familiar passage, behold, I will send my messenger, he will prepare the way for me. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and he will purify the sons of Levi. Peter's reminding the church that God's people will be pressed. They will be fired in order to be made holy 
for the fire of judgment. Not, not scarcely saved as in barely. That, maybe that was another confusing phrase that you see in our passage this morning. If the righteous are scarcely saved, it doesn't mean that, that we're going to get in by the skin of our teeth. No, what Peter is saying is, with much struggle, that fire that refines God's people for the ungodly, for those who are apart from Christ, will, will consume him, will consume them. Those are sober, sober but encouraging words. Our suffering makes us holy. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want to be fully human as he was? Do you want those impurities that linger in you to to be gone despite the pain and despite the cost? I do. We can rest that God is at work purifying his people. A sovereign God is active in the struggle. That's what he's doing. But there's a beautiful gift that Peter gives in this passage on suffering. A beautiful gift he's giving his people in suffering, and that's our final point, our final meditation this morning, and it's this. Our suffering unites us to the risen Jesus. Our suffering has purpose, our suffering makes us holy, and our suffering unites us to the risen Jesus. By allowing us to suffer, God is giving us the gift of further union with his Son. I found another quote this week from another persecuted Romanian pastor, Joseph's son, And he says this, this union with Christ is the most beautiful subject in the Christian life. It means that I'm not a lone fighter here. I am an extension of Jesus Christ. When I was beaten, he says, when I was beaten in Romania, he suffered in my body. It is not my suffering. I had the honor to share in his sufferings. You see, if we suffer for Christ and for our faith, we are first, first we're linked to the people of old, specifically the prophets. Hebrews 11 verse 36 says this, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. These men had names, names like Isaiah and Jeremiah, and they are part, brothers and sisters, of the cloud of witnesses that cheer us on as we run our race. So our suffering links us to them, but even more profoundly, our suffering links us to Jesus, right? That was his path. Jesus' path, suffering to glory. We experience his life. His life is lived out through us. And so the suffering, our suffering, sweetens the glory that is to come. Our suffering helps us cut the cord to this world and long for the next. 
Our suffering shows this world that we don't belong here, that we are His. Our suffering proclaims to the world that He is glorious above all. And so, yeah, the apostles, when they suffered in the early church in Acts chapter 5, they said that they were counted worthy. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. Our suffering unites us to Jesus. And that leads us to our responses in all of this. In light of these truths about our suffering, what does Peter invite and encourage the church to do? Well, it's in that first verse. If all you walk away with this morning is that first verse, that's good. I've done my work. Let me give you two words, two responses. The first is rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice that you have a Father who purposes suffering, who uses it to make you more like Jesus, to make you more human. Rejoice that you have a Savior who has walked the road of suffering, who knows it better than you do. And as you follow his lead, your union with him becomes more intimate. Your preparations to see his face more profound. Rejoice that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of glory, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead rests on you, walks with you, and sustains you in your suffering. Rejoice knowing that this isn't something strange or abnormal, that this isn't a surprise, but this is the path that God has called you and invited you to walk. Rejoice. And then finally, second word, entrust. Entrust. The psalmist who penned Psalm 91, great psalm, gives us this vivid imagery to hold on to. Listen to the first six verses of Psalm 91 and see if they don't comfort you today. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the destruction that wastes at noonday because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Entrust yourselves to your creator. Dwell in his shelter. Abide in his shadow. Find refuge in his wings. That's what Peter calls us to. And indeed, when we hear that and when we're reminded of these things, we can, yes, we can rejoice. We can entrust for the glory of his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Your word which comes both as a challenge to us, but also as a balm to our souls. 
that in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of fear, we know that there is purpose. We know that you are making us holy. We know that you are uniting us to your son, Jesus. And so we give you thanks. And we do rejoice. And we ask that as we go from this place and as the heat gets turned up in whatever way in our lives, that these truths would not easily flee from us, but they might find root deep in our hearts. That as the world sees us suffer, as the world sees us do good and receive nothing back, that your great name, your worthy name would be glorified above all. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen.